Good morning. How are we? Good. Fantastic. Love to hear it. Thanks for coming out on a, a rainy Sunday. Um, my name is Josh Story. I have the, the privilege of uh, serving as the teaching pastor here, and we're so happy uh, to see you. If, if, if you will, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. We'll be hanging out there this morning. So there are certain uh, rhythms or customs or practices uh, that certain nations at kind of one point in time, they just kind of did it as part of their culture. And then over time, it became something that really began to identify the citizens of that place. So for instance, if I say the, the term afternoon tea, who do you think of? English, English people, right? You know, uh, we think, oh yeah, like the Brits, they do the whole afternoon tea and tea and crumpets thing, right? Um, if I say the word siesta, who do you th- th- think, think of? Spain, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, Spain, right? Because you know that if you have been to Spain, it's really hard to buy stuff between the hours of two and five, right? Because everyone's just taking a nap. Um, this is a little bit more uh, nuanced, but if I say the term Shabbat elevator, Israel, yeah, yeah. So if you go with us to Israel next summer, plug, uh, what, what you'll find is that on Saturdays, most things are shut down because they practice Shabbat, which is the Hebrew word for Sabbath. Um, and there's this really fascinating thing where uh, the Orthodox Jews would consider pushing a button on an elevator work. So there are these things called Shabbat elevators where if you walk on the wrong elevator, it will go floor to floor all the way up and then floor to floor all the way down. And if you are in a rush, that is the wrong elevator to be on because it takes like 30 minutes to go six floors. Um, right? So those are all things that, that are just kind of cultural deals. They're just practices or rhythms that these people do. But after a while, they really become things that we identify them by. Right? Now, I tell you all of that because we are in uh, the Sermon on the Mount, which is this inaugural address of Jesus, where, where Jesus steps on the scene and he says, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he is walking us through what does it actually mean to be citizens within the kingdom of heaven? How are we identified as citizens of Jesus. Um, And so we are moving into a portion of this address that are really about kingdom practices. What are the things that we do? What are the rhythms and the practices um, that should identify us to the outside world that let people know, oh, that person is a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And so today we are talking about fasting. Um, Fasting is the kingdom practice that we are going to uh, discuss. And so today's going to be really easy. Um, I'm going to walk us through what on earth is, does Jesus actually say about fasting, and then figure out how do we apply that to our lives, right? What does Jesus say, and then how do we actually begin to implement this? Um, but before we do that, I want to give us a definition, uh, just so we have kind of a working understanding of what we mean when, when we say fasting. So let's talk about what fasting is and what fasting is not. First, fasting is not simply abstaining from something. Fasting is not abstaining from something. Um, you'll oftentimes hear uh, the phrase, I'm fasting social media, or I'm fasting sugar, or I'm fasting Netflix, right? Um, and what people mean is that I'm going to cut those things out of my life for a season. And those are good things. Those aren't wrong or bad things, but it's not the biblical definition of fasting. Um, fasting, from a biblical standpoint, is this. It is the foregoing the nourishment of food in order to be nourished by the Holy Spirit. Fasting is foregoing the, the nourishment of food in order to be nourished by the Holy Spirit. It is this um, moment, and we'll talk more about how long it lasts and when you do it and all those things, um, but it's this, this idea that I'm going to um, take away food for, for a moment 
so that I can be nourished by the Holy Spirit, so I can commune with God and allow him to speak in the absence of food. Now, I will be completely transparent. I am not good at this. Out of all the practices of Jesus, this is the one that I implement the very least, and it's the one that I don't particularly love to do, um, primarily because I love food, right? Like, lunch is my favorite time of the day. Like, I, I just love food. I love to eat. And so I remember as a kid um, learning what fasting is. I, I saw my dad skip a meal, and I asked him why, and he said that he was fasting. I was like, well, what's fasting? He says, oh, well, it's this thing where you, you know, skip a meal and you pray instead. And I thought, that's the worst trade-off in the world, right? <laughs> like, I mean, like, you're, you're skipping food to pray? Like, oh my gosh, that sounds brutal. So I don't, I don't fast a lot. However, in the moments when I do fast, what I have found is that it is a very unique way to commune with God. It's not better or worse than any other way that we commune with God, but there's, there's something really unique that happens when we fast, when we commune with God through uh, foregoing the nourishment of food. And, and this is my sort of conjecture, right? So Bible, Joshua's opinion over here, right? Um, I think one of the things that, of why this is so unique is because food is the most socially acceptable form of medicating a problem in our culture, right? So like, what's the cure to a breakup? Bowl of ice cream, exactly, right? Um, if you have like a bad day at work, right? There's nothing a bowl of queso can't fix, right? Like it's just the way things are, right? There, there, are, there are certain things in our life that, that we know when I experience a problem, when I'm stressed, when I'm upset, then, then I can just get food and that food for a moment will make me feel better. It will make me forget about all that's happening in my life. It doesn't make the problem go away, but for a moment, I feel better. And we medicate and we numb with food. And what's unique about fasting is that when we remove that from the situation, there's no distraction, there's no medication, there's no numbing. It's us, the problem, and God. And we just say, God, I'm hungry for you. God, I, God, God, what will you do? Can you, can you meet me here? Can you speak to me in a really unique way? And there's just something beautiful when we do this because it removes all sort of medicating or numbing that we typically do with food. And so um, what we want to do today is, is, is we'll just talk about what does Jesus say specifically about fasting because it is a, a, a beautiful, beautiful practice that we have um, lost a lot in our world. So uh, look with me at Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 16. It says, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Okay, um, two things I want to point out here uh, of what Jesus is saying. First, Jesus assumes that you and I are fasting. Right? Jesus assumes that you and I are fasting. Notice he says, and when you fast. Right? He's not saying, hey, you know, if you fast, if you consider fasting, if you get around to fasting, if maybe one day you decide this might be a cool thing to try out. No, he says, when you fast, as you are fasting, this is what you should do. Right? So the question that I have is, why would Jesus just assume that fasting is a part of our lives? Why would he assume that this is just a regular rhythm for us? Well, um, 
I think if you zoom out and you look at uh, the purpose of fasting that, that we see throughout all of Scripture, I think that has something to do with it. So I want to just really, really brief you, get you a little Scripture drunk on, uh, on like the purpose and like the why of fasting. We typically see five reasons why people fast in the Scriptures. And the first is this. Um, pe- people fast to repent. They fast to repent. Um, in the book of Nehemiah, uh, they, they discover the Torah. They discover the law of God. It has been lost. And when, when they realize that we have not been following the law of God, they begin to repent. So this is what it says in Nehemiah 9, 1 through 2. It says, Now on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth. And with earth on their heads, and the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and their iniquities of their fathers. Right? So their, their, their instinctual reaction to understanding, man, we have, we have sinned, we have fallen short, their, their response is to fast. It's to use fasting as a form of just confession and repentance and asking forgiveness. That's, that's one way that we fast. The second way is to grieve. We fast to grieve. Um, in Nehemiah also, there is, there is a scene where, where they learn for the first time that the city of Jerusalem has been destroyed. And this is what Nehemiah does in Nehemiah 1.4. It says, as soon as I heard these words, that the city was torn down, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Right? Fasting is a way that we can grieve. We, we get news that is just demoralizing, that is discouraging, and one of the ways that we respond is to fast before the Lord and just grieve and weep and mourn. A third way is that we ask God to intervene. Uh, fasting is a way to ask God to intervene. So in the book of Esther, um, Esther, who is a Jew, who happens to be the queen through this long, crazy series of events, finds out that uh, the king of Persia is about to essentially commit genocide and wipe out all of the people of Israel. And Esther gets word of this, and, and the only hope is for her to go before the king, ask him to revoke the law, which is illegal for her to approach him without being summoned. And so this is her response when she, when she hears about the upcoming murder of the Jewish people. It, sa- uh, it says, Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa, And hold a fast on my behalf. And do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. And I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. This is this moment in time when when God needs to step in. God needs to change the heart of the king. God needs to do something drastically different in the midst of what's happening. And their response is, hey, let's, let's fast. Let's go before, the God, or go before God and let's, let's beg him to, to intervene to do something about it. Right? So one of the ways that we fast is we ask God to intervene in a crisis. Fourth is that it is a way to ask God to relent, to ask God to relent. Um, in the book of Jonah, Jonah's job is to go to the people of Nineveh, uh, which was a very dark, wicked place, and to essentially say, hey, because of your wickedness, um, God is going to wipe you out unless you repent. Um, And there's a whole backstory on Jonah. He was kind of a punk and really didn't want to go because they were so horrible. Um, But when the king of Nineveh hears this news, this is how he responds in Jonah 3. It says, the word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. 
and he, and he issued a proclamation and published it through Nineveh. He says, By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. And who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. These are people that don't, that don't even follow God. But they understand there, there is this communion with God that can happen when you begin to fast. And it's this moment where like, hey, let's, let's go before the Lord. Let's, let's just have our, our, our posture of, Lord, I need you. I'm hungry for you. And maybe, just maybe, God will relent. That God will not punish us for our sins. But num- number five, and lastly is this, that we fast to know the will of God. That we know the God's will in a situation. Um, in the book of Acts, when, uh, when the apostles were sort of tasked with taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, right, and building the church, what you find is, well, there's a lot of questions about what do we do next, <laughs> right? Like, all right, y'all, go. I mean, like, what do you do? Like, there's all these questions of where do we go? What do we do next? Where do we set up shop first? And so to, to, to get clarity on, on God's will, of God, all right, what are you trying to do? What, what are you telling us? To do, they fasted, and we see an example of this in Acts 13. It says, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they had laid their hands on them and sent them off. Um, this actually led to Paul's very first missionary journey. So the whole, the, the modern missionary movement, the idea of planting churches, um, that all started because they were sitting in a room and they're like, I don't know what to do next. I don't know where to go. I, I, I don't know what your will is for us. And so they fasted and they prayed and the Lord spoke. and said, hey, I want you to send them out, right? And, and that one moment, that one moment of fasting created the spread of the church to the ends of the earth. Now, when you look at these five things, right? Repent, grieve, asking God to intervene, asking God to, to relent and seeking the will of God. Why I think Jesus assumes that we are fasting because at any given point in time, we are doing one of these five things, right? At any given point in time, there is a need for us to repent, to confess our sins before God. There, there is a need for us to grieve, where life just hit us in the face and we are just sad. Where we are just struggling to figure out, man, what is God's will? Like, what does God want? What do I do? I, I have two options here. Which way do I go? Or maybe it's asking God to intervene either on your behalf or on the behalf of a friend or a loved one, where, where, where God needs to just drastically do something crazy, or otherwise this is not going to go well. Right? At any point in time, we are experiencing one of these five things, and so Jesus assumes that our response is to fast. Right? When you fast, this is how you do it, because he understands the human experience. He understands the human experience, and he knows that at any point in time, we are doing one of these five things. That's, that's the first thing that Jesus says, that he, he assumes that we are fasting. And so um, the first thing that I would challenge you with is that if you're not fasting, if this isn't a rhythm in your life, consider making this a rhythm in your life. And we'll talk more in a moment about kind of what that might look like. But um, if you don't fast, that's, that's not a judgment. I don't fast a lot. This, this has been a very convicting week for me as I'm studying this. 
Um, but, but consider making this a rhythm or a practice in your life. That's the first thing. He, he assumes that we are fasting. But here's the second thing that we see in this text. We see that fasting is about posture, not performance. That fasting is about posture, not performance. Um, let's read this verse again. He says, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, a couple things here. Um, did anyone grow up hearing that the, that the cardinal sin of fasting is telling someone that you're fasting? Can we hear that? Okay, yeah. I grew up hearing that, like, the number one rule of Fight Club is you don't talk about Fight Club, right? Like, that was, that was the moniker for fasting. Um, and, like, you, you don't tell people that you're fasting. And a lot of us get that because of this text. But the reality is that if you look at fasting, like, throughout all of Scripture, the majority of the time, fasting is done in community. Fasting is done in a, a, a community that is fasting together, asking God to do something specific. So you kind of have to know that each other is fa fasting, right? So, so this is not a passage about don't tell people you're fasting. Like, shh, like it doesn't count if you tell people you're fasting. Like, that's, that's not what this is about. Um, what's happening here is that the Pharisees, the, the, religious, elite, the, the religious elite, of their day, um, they fasted on Mondays and Thursdays. And one of the reasons why we know they fasted on Mondays and Thursdays is because they would walk, walk around, it's like, oh, fasting for the Lord. You know, just like, just so just gloomy and downcast and just like looks so weak and tired and frail and look at me suffering for the Lord. And Jesus is like, that's ridiculous. Get that trash out of here, right? He's saying like, when you fast, like, don't, like those people, they're fasting for, for for the performance, right? They are fasting so that others can look at them and say, that bro is spiritual. Man, that guy loves God so much. Man, he is starving himself. Like, like he is, he's so hungry for a guy. Look at him, right? And Jesus is saying, look, they have their reward. All these people want is they, is they just want other people to see them as spiritual. Great, and they got it. But what I want for you is, is not about the performance. It's about the posture. So wash your face, go about your life. Don't, don't, don't act like, well, I can't tell people that I'm fasting. No, just, just go about life. Be a normal person because it's about the posture. It, 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 it's about you communing with God because your God sees you. Your reward is that you are not fasting in some kind of empty void. Like the God of the universe sees you. He draws near to you. He he connects with you. You are communing with God. That is the goal of fasting. It's not for others to see. It's for you and God to commune in a really special way. So how do we do this, right? If Jesus assumes that we are, um, and if it's about posture, not performance, how do we actually fast? Um, there are two traditional ways of fasting. There's, there's a 24-hour fast and a 12-hour fast, and this is like the really practical piece of this. Um, and I will say, there's like no right or wrong way to fast, right? This is just historically how people have fasted. Um, a 24-hour fast starts at dinner uh, one night, and you break fast at dinner the next night. So say like you skip dinner on a Tuesday. Um, you, you don't eat breakfast on Wednesday. You don't eat lunch on Wednesday. And then you eat dinner, and you break your fast, which I also learned 
that the word breakfast comes from breaking fast. I had no idea. That's uh, something I literally just learned, which is probably <laughs> embarrassing. Um, right? That you break your fast um, at, say, 6. Right? Um, that is a, the traditional 24-hour fast. Um, a 12-hour fast is you just wake up, you don't eat bre breakfast, you don't eat lunch, and then you break fast at dinner time. And in those moments, sort of the goal is that any time that you feel a hunger pain, that, that is designed to lead you to a place where you stop and you pray. And any time that you would traditionally eat, you spend that time praying, or maybe it's blocking off the, the hour that you have for that meal. It's some of you are like, an hour for a meal? That's cute, Josh. That's not my life, right? But like, you know, the 15 minutes that you would typically slam a protein bar, right? You, you, you take that time, and you commune with God, and you sit, and you pray, and you bring before him all of these things, right? Now, I will, um, I will warn you, there is a good chance that the first time you fast, right after you begin fasting, someone's going to offer to take you to lunch at Del Frisco's right? This is going to happen, right? Um, I kid you not, uh, the first time I ever really fasted, um, it's at dinner time, and I was like, okay, the sun is down. I'm not eating dinner. Great. I'm doing it. We're going to, all right, you and me, God. I kid you not, an hour after my fast started, there is uh, a package shipped to our house, and I opened the box, and my sweet mother-in-law decided that it would be a really fun surprise to send us a giant box full of Girl Scout cookies, I've never been so hungry in my life. I've never, I'm like, I'm just like staring at Thin Mints, just drooling. I'm like, oh my gosh, right? So like that, that may happen because we serve a God who is hilarious, right? Um, so 24-hour, 12-hour fast, right? That's typically how it goes. Here's what I would suggest. Start small. Start small. Um, it doesn't like, I, I typically kind of work in this way, like if I'm going to do something, something, I'm going to like go all out. Like, give me the 24-hour fast right off the bat, right? It's okay to start small. It's okay to start with a meal. To say, hey, you know, I'm going to fast during lunch today, and I'm going to just go off to a quiet place, and I'm going to spend my lunch hour just sitting and communing and praying and just listening for the voice of God to see what he has to say, right? You can just take one meal, Take 30 minutes, take an hour, like, that's, that's okay. It doesn't have to be some crazy long 24-hour fast. I'll be honest, the first time I did a 24-hour fast, by 2 p.m., I am lightheaded and dizzy, right? That's okay. We also want you to be medically responsible, right? If you have a medical condition where not eating for 24 hours is bad news, please don't fast, right? Like, be wise and be smart, because we want this to be about communing with God, not about sticking to some really strict sort of 24-hour fast kind of rule. So, so start small and, and be smart. Understand your body and what your body can handle, right? Um, the second thing I would say is this, is consider fasting in community. Um, I think one of the really cool things about when we fast, and I think that the whole don't talk about fasting has really done a disservice to the church over the years, because when you fast in community, um, it allows a sounding board for listening to the voice of God, right? Um, when you fast by yourself, it's you and you alone discerning what you think the Lord is saying to you. When you fast as a community, it allows you to fast for a season or fast for a day, come t together and say, this is what I sense from the Lord. What did you sense? And if everybody's on the same, same page, I mean, that's powerful. If you're all on different pages, that's also powerful. That's also good to know that, okay, we're not all on the same, same page, and, and maybe we misheard from the Lord or we heard different things. 
there is a clarity that comes when you fast in, in community. There's also a level of comfort. If you're walking through something, and it's just weighing heavy on you, and you feel alone. I mean, oftentimes, the moments in, in life where we feel a sense of grief, we feel a sense of loss, we feel like the weight is on our shoulders, we, we typically carry that on our shoulders alone. But when you have the ability to, to gather community, gather friends around you, say, this is just weighing on me. Would you fast with me? Would you fast and pray that God intervene here or that God moves here? God gives me clarity on this. There is something really beautiful when the church gathers and fasts together because you know that you're not alone, that there's a group that is taking this thing to the Lord as a community. It's really, really powerful. Um, let me close with one last thing. Fasting is not a formula. I think when it comes to the practices of Jesus, when it comes to kind of implementing these things into our life, we can sort of view fasting sort of like a ritual, like some sort of like incantation of like, all right, if I starve myself for 12, 12 hours, then God is going to do what I want him to do. That's not how it works. This is not a formula to, to get God to do the things that you want him to do. This is about understanding this is a really unique way to hear the voice of God, to commune with God in ways that, that maybe I haven't experienced before. That I'm removing the, the, the comfort and the distraction and the medication and the numbing that sometimes food can provide, and I am entering into the pain, I'm entering into the moment with clarity and asking God to speak, right? And the reality is that sometimes, sometimes you will fast and the skies will part and doves will fall and you will hear the audible voice of God and you will think, oh my gosh, how amazing was that? And then other times, you're just hungry. Other times you leave the fast and you think, I didn't hear a word. I just, I was starving all day. Sometimes that happens. Because again, this is about communing with God. Anyone who has ever been in any type of relationship ever knows that there are times when, when, when you're sitting across from someone and communication is, I mean, it's, you're firing on all cylinders and it's amazing and it's awesome and you're laughing and, like, and, and you're just connected. And then there's other times where it's like, eh, we, we, had, we had dinner. We talked, we hung out. Like, I mean, that's, that's, that, that, that's just life. And sometimes when we fast, we have this incredible, beautiful experience and sometimes we're just hungry. I had a a friend who recently uh, felt this conviction uh, to fast uh, every week until a certain life situation got, got resolved. And uh, to, to hear one, one way or uh, the other. And, and as she was telling me about the fasting, um, it was just like that. Like, so like there were days where I, I felt like I was hearing the voice of God and it was so clear. And then there, there were other days where I heard nothing. I heard nothing. And I think that we are so quick as a culture to, if, if, if it doesn't work the first time, right? If I fast and I heard nothing, well, all right, well, fasting is a hoax. It doesn't really work, right? But a practice is something that we consistently do. It's a rhythm in our lives. And sometimes we, we don't hear anything, and that's okay. Because it's about communing with God and knowing that the more we do it, the closer we get to our Father. And the more we do it, that's the more opportunities to hear the voice of God. But we have to stick with it.
We have to make this a rhythm and a practice in our life. And so, um, if you're not aware, one of our core values uh, at Fourth Bible Church is hungry. And one of the reasons why, why we chose that um, is because the definition of hungry means having a strong desire or craving. Right? And we want to be a people who have this insatiable appetite for more of the Lord. We have a strong desire, we have a strong craving for more of the Lord. And my, my hope is that we understand that fasting is simply a way for us to live that out. To, to, to sit on, on a weekly or a monthly basis and say, God, I, 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 just, I just want more. I need more. I, want, I have this craving to hear your voice, to commune with you, to connect with you, to know what your will is, to see you just do things in the world around me. And so my hope and my prayer is that as a people who claim to be hungry, that we live that out through fasting. Let me pray. God, we thank you for the phrase that when we fast, you see us. That, that the God who is in secret, that, that you see us. That even in the moments when, when, when we feel alone, when it feels like you are not listening, when it feels like you are not responding, that we can echo the psalmists who have long said, God, I, I don't know where you are, but I do know who you are. And I know that you are near. I know that you are present. I, I, I know what you have done for the saints before us. And so, God, I'm, I'm just anticipating that you're going to continue to move the way that I know you can. And so, God, my, my prayer is that uh, as we begin to, to do this more often, to implement this practice into our lives, that it is a, a beautiful season where, where we get to experience you in ways that maybe for the very first time we've never gotten to experience you. And in the moments of discouragement, in in the moments where sometimes we, we just spend a day being hungry. That we understand the beauty of who you are and we are excited to, to sit at your feet another time. God, will you speak to us? Will you move? Will, will you encourage the hearts in this room that are discouraged? Will you bring clarity to those that are searching? Will you intervene in the crises in this room? May we get to see you do miraculous things. We love you. In your son's name we pray. Amen.